0: Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today we put the spotlight on Fidelity's newly launched Active Equity ETF and ETF series. Director of ETFs Andre Bruno explains how the new products can help your clients achieve their long-term investment goals and diversify their portfolios. Andre says Fidelity's new suite of active ETFs provides choice for the investor, offering products run by different managers who have different investment styles, perspectives, cap focuses and geographies. Andre speaks about the ETF space and current trends. He points to continued inflows primarily to defensive areas like fixed income as a trend worth following. Looking at longer-term trends, Andre says that ETFs continue to see year-over-year growth despite the passive approach taken by many investors. He also explains the difference between ETFs and mutual funds lies primarily in how they are traded, with ETFs being exchange traded and benefiting from intraday liquidity and ease of bulk trading. Andre also describes his tips and tricks for trading ETFs, including avoiding trading at the open and close due to increased volatility and reaching out to your trading desk about preserving liquidity when executing block trades. Andre says Fidelity's strength is in its vast array of research analysts across the globe, covering virtually every stock and sector, a resource leveraged by portfolio managers to execute both macro and micro-investment decisions. This podcast was recorded on May 25, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates.
1: First of all, congratulations on the active ETF launch.
0: It's so much
2: appreciated. It was, uh, you know, uh, many, many months, uh, obviously, behind the scenes of work. So it's it's great to see it all come to fruition. And, and we are super, super excited about
1: the launch. Great. So we're going to we'll, we'll dig into some of that in a moment. But first, let's let's start with some of the ETF trends that you're seeing in the space a bit more broadly. It's been a good couple of years, even despite the market volatility for ETFs. Why are we still seeing inflows uh, into this space? And uh, what are maybe some of the things that you're seeing here that uh, would be interesting uh, to highlight.
2: Yeah. So as a whole in the space, we're obviously continuing to see inflows into the ETF space uh, from an AUM perspective. You know, take a look at this year just to get a little bit granular about kind of the trends we're seeing this year. Obviously, we're still seeing you know tons of flows kind of go into the ET or sorry into the fixed income space. You know, obviously there's been you know concerns of a recession and a slowdown and 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 that has been uh, you know driving investor sentiment. So again, we're seeing flows kind of into the more de- defensive areas. So fixed income being you know again again that 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 safety valve for you kind of uh, in those recessionary times. And we're also seeing flows kind of go into kind of defensive areas of the equity market as well. But, you know, when you take a step back and take a look at longer trends, I think you pointed out, you know, ETFs are still continuing to see flows year over year. We're still seeing the space grow from an AUM perspective. Um, When you take a look at, you know, when you think about the ETF space, you know, a lot of folks think kind of passive when they think ETF space. And it's, it's, it's certainly grown, and you know when, when ETFs were first launched, that was certainly what dominated, were those passive index ETFs. So think of you know, your S&P 500 index ETFs. So it's obviously grown, and in, in the, in, in the space can kind of be broadly broken up into three different areas. So you've got your passive, which we just talked about, your smart beta, and, and active as well. Uh, so again, historically, active had been reserved for kind of the mutual fund space. And when you take a look at kind of those three buckets and and where the growth has been over the last, uh, you know, three to five years, you've seen active starting to get a larger share of of kind of the AUM from a growth perspective. Um, So that's obviously an emerging trend that we're seeing over the last three to five years uh, in the ETF space.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to see that because really, you know, passive investments uh, were sort of an alternative to mutual funds. That's what people thought of at the beginning, but now we're seeing this space grow. Maybe talk about the evolution a bit. Why are we seeing uh, the move from just passive to now smart beta and, and into active?
2: Yeah, for sure, and I think it's been it's been a couple of things. I think you know initially uh, there was probably some operational constraints about having active mandates in the ETF vehicle. So obviously, technology has gotten a lot better. Um, the industry has adapted to that. Um, also, I think it comes from an appetite too. I think as the ETF vehicle is getting a little bit more popular. You know, people. You see some advisors out there, some clients out there who just prefer the ETF vehicle. So, you know, as the demand for the vehicle starts increasing, I think the breadth of products that are coming to market as well has been increasing as well. Um, So, again, we we continue to see growth in the space. We continue to see new and different innovative products that maybe, if you go back twenty years, you would have thought would never come to the ETF vehicle. And so, we're starting to see a lot of those more bespoke and interesting products come to the to the ETF vehicle and market.
1: I feel like we should, we should acknowledge the fact that Canada has been innovative in ETFs. The first ETF was Canadian made. So, uh, you know, it's sort of fitting that we're, we're talking about kind of the evolution and innovation in the ETF space here.
2: Yeah, that is a little known fact that uh, the first ETF was launched in Canada. So uh, a bit of a plug for Canada there, but uh, um, obviously the, the vehicle has grown. It's now a global vehicle that you see in, in, in all markets across the globe now.
1: Let's talk about sort of active ETFs specifically. What are they exactly? How are they different from a mutual fund? Uh, what are the mechanics of this?
2: Yeah, so high level, um, there there isn't a ton of difference between you know an active mandate you see in an ETF and an active mandate in a mutual fund, um, but where the differences come in is is in terms of you know how these things trade. So you know if you think mutual funds and you think you're in Canada, you know you put in your 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 mutual fund owner into Fundserve, and then at four o'clock you get kind of the end of the day NAV, and that's how you get filled. So obviously ETFs are exchange traded, so you you do get the benefit of intraday liquidity, um, you know. It, Ease of bulk trading, um, you know. It can be a little bit easier to bulk trade ETFs relative to mutual funds. Uh, so obviously, those are some of the benefits there. Um, high level as well, generally speaking, if you if you had two exactly the same funds, one in mutual fund and one ETF, typically the ETF is going to be a little bit more tax advantageous just due to the secondary trading uh, of the ETFs. So if you think about it, a mutual fund, an order comes in, PMs have to go trade it. Um, in an ETF space, often that'll you know th- they'll match a buyer and the seller in the market. So the underlying fund won't necessarily have to trade. So typically Typically, there can be some tax advantages to the ETF over the mutual fund as well.
1: So, when um, you know, when approaching, I guess, the creation of an active ETF, um, and just generally, I guess, you know, there are fund managers. Are they picking stocks for the ETF? How does the stock picking process work?
2: Yeah. So, 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 generally speaking, you know, again, with, with the new funds we're launching, um, the, the, some of them are ETF series on on mutual funds. So, you know, the underlying process remains the same, whether they're you know, investing for the ETF or res- investing for the mutual fund. But you know, broadly speaking, about fidelity here, obviously we have a vast array of, of research analysts across the globe, c- kind of covering kind of every sector, every stock you can imagine. Um, so generally speaking, you know, all of our PMs have access to kind of this, this large breadth uh, of, of, of research, whether that's macro, whether that's getting even more minute and looking at individual you know, company research. So again, we we leverage that large research network uh, and we put it into our, our security selection and our macro. Calls as well,
1: and, and on these on these funds specifically, maybe we could talk a bit about them. Uh, I mentioned some uh, some portfolio managers in in, in the intro. Um, these are well respected portfolio managers from Fidelity. Uh, maybe just talk about kind of that leadership and 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 them managing this fund. Why is it important to have those names on this? And and uh, and what can um, advisors expect from these Fidelity active ETFs?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. So, so obviously we're bringing you know there's four new funds coming to coming to market. You mentioned uh, some of the managers there. So obviously uh, you know established managers, established track record. You know they've been managing money for quite some time. Obviously Connor and Chris are are the new kids on the block. They've been managing their their retail fund uh, for just over a year now, I believe. But you know they've been managing the the institutional version of the fund for over I, I believe around three and a half years. So so by no stretch uh, no stretch are they you know new, um, but. Uh, you know, a little newer relative to say, you know, your Hugo Lavalley,es your your Dan Duponts, and your 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 Mark Schmels. Um, but you know, in terms of these these products, like you mentioned, three of them are ETF series, so you know they're going to be you know, managed in the exact same way as the mutual fund Uh, for Mark Schmel's product. It is a a clone of his innovator strategy. So that's gonna be, you know, managed very, very closely to the underlying mutual fund there. So why did we bring these particular managers? Again, we mentioned they do have an established track record. You know, they're they're managers that people know and love. Um, But also, you know, we wanted to give investors a choice. So that was kind of the main thing with these launches. Number one, we wanted to give them choice in vehicle. But when you take a look at the underlying managers, underlying strategies, it's a bit of a, a buffet of funds as you will, different managers, different styles, different geographies, different cap focuses. So there's a little bit of something for everyone in there. Um,
1: so if, if advisors, you know, lots of advisors are listening to this right now, they might be familiar with the mutual funds that uh, were, have been kind of turned into ETFs. Um, you mentioned some of the properties of kind of ETFs and why they're an advantage, but maybe for the advisors on the call, uh, why, you know, why th- consider the ETF when maybe they already have the mutual fund or, they've, or, or they have both options? Um, why choose one over the other?
2: Yeah, so that's a good question. So generally at Fidelity, we're agnostic. You know, if you want to invest in Fidelity through the ETF vehicle or the mutual fund or a combination of both, again we're agnostic. Whatever works best for you, your clients, and your book. Again, I mentioned there are some advisors out there who do prefer the ETF vehicle for for some of those advantages I mentioned earlier, whether it's the intraday liquidity or the the ease of bulk trading. Um, so again, you know, if you have an ETF book, you prefer investing through ETF, the ETF vehicle. Then, I would recommend the ETF for you. You know, if you prefer mutual funds and and like to invest in mutual funds, then i would that I would recommend just investing in the mutual fund. Whatever works best for you, your clients, in your book, you know it's hard for us to say, you know again, we're agnostic. I'm not going to say the ETF is better than mutual funds better. It's whatever works for you. And again, I just want to stress that, what we wanted to offer with this launch is just choice for our clients and investors. Um, uh,
1: Let's talk a bit more about the need for active. Like what, I guess, you know, we're not saying anything is better than the other, but but why do you think active has become a bigger part of the ETF space? Um, You know, why, why is there a need for active when you have so many, Passive funds, and now more smart beta funds.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you think of when you think of uh, when you think of those passive indices, you're getting kind of beta exposure, right? You're getting you're getting exposure to the broader market. You know, if you're looking for alpha opportunities through these of these security selection, obviously you're going to get that through active management. Um, speaking a little bit more uh, locally in terms of you know right now, why active management certainly makes sense. You know, if you think about where we are in the cycle, obviously we're getting a, a slowdown. There's choppiness in markets. You know, it's in those choppy and volatile markets where you get those active managers that can really shine and, and kind of add alpha to your portfolio. So, you know, specifically right now, I think active makes a ton of sense, especially given how choppy markets have been and how volatile markets have been this year.
1: Uh, just on that point, um, it, it has been interesting that ETFs have really held up in volatile markets. I think there was an expectation a while, you know, years ago that the big test for ETFs would come when there was a big drop and we saw the pandemic happen and ETFs held up. They, they had a great year that year. Um, why are ETFs a vehicle that has uh, been able to perform well in all sorts of market conditions.
2: Yeah, so it's a good question. I think I think just kind of what's what's offered through the ETFs. Again, you, you've got it kind of it kind of sweeps the whole gamut right now. And you know, there, there are obviously certain products that are still only offered in the mutual fund or OM versions. Um, but I think when you just take a look at the breadth of products in ETFs, when historically it was just kind of a, a passive following indices, but now you've got kind of. A whole range of products you can invest in within the ETF vehicle so you know it, it, you know you, if you want passive exposure paid exposure if you've got your passive you want a little bit of something in between active and passive, and you want to get into the smart betas and you want to focus on specific factors, for example, quality or value that's at your disposal. You know, if you want to go full blown active and, and try to drive alpha through security selection, sector rotation, we've got the active. So I just think the breadth of products within ETFs are keeping a lot of people in the ecosystem and kind of whatever they want, they can kind of invest in, in the ETF space nowadays.
1: Yeah, it does feel like, you know, you really can build an all ETF portfolio today and and ones that are, are really Tailored to that individual investor.
2: Well, well, that's just it, right? You can you can build an entire portfolio just on ETFs. I mean maybe if you went back you know, 15, 20 years, that might have been a little bit more difficult. Uh, but you certainly can, and, and there are certainly tons of clients who do in fact do that.
1: Um, we have a question from an advisor's uh, from an advisor. Uh, how similar or different will Fidelity Global Innovators ETF be from Fidelity Global Innovators class?
2: Yeah, so so under the hood, Mark is gonna run them you know almost exactly the same. The one difference I will say, just kind of out of the out of the gate here, is uh, when you take a look at the innovators class, there is a small private position in private equity. Obviously, the runway for private investments is quite long. You know, the company has to do uh, you know has to do a capital raise in order for you to invest. Um, so obviously, we couldn't match the private position uh, right out of the gate. So the current private position in the underlying ETF is currently sitting at zero. That being said, on a go forward basis, if Mark does want to engage in new private investments, he there's nothing precluding him from adding that you know, equally to the class as the ETF. So I would say that's the main difference. From an overall trading perspective, again, Mark is going to basically mirror the trades in both of these portfolios. So they're going to they're keep things super, super tight in terms of a return perspective.
1: Great. Uh, a couple more questions. Um, will there be short-term trading fees associated with the Fidelity Global Innovators, e- Innovators, or ETF or e- ETF series?
2: Yeah. So there will be no short-term trading fees on 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 the ETFs, and and that applies to our whole lineup. Um, uh, so again, you know, those are those are market. You, you buy them and buy them and sell them in the market. So there are no, no short-term trading fees. Obviously, if if you know there's brokerage fees that your firm charges, obviously they would be subject to that. But from from a fidelity perspective, we don't charge any short-term trading fees on trading our ETFs.
1: And uh, another question: Will these ETFs or any other active ETFs at Fidelity be available in a corporate class structure at some point?
2: Uh, so, uh, I'm for, I would. Um, I'm not going to say never, but I would. I, I would suspect that they won't be in a corporate class structure, unfortunately. Um, and that's just um, it's just the way the corporate class is structured. It makes it kind of tough to put it into an ETF vehicle. Um, so, so my gut would say these likely would not be offered in a corporate. Again, I don't want to never say never, but I would say that there's a very low probability chance that these would be offered in corporate class.
1: Um, how, how do you see active incorporating with passive and smart beta within a portfolio. Uh, you know, how should, how should advisors think about maybe structuring an all ETF portfolio using now all of these different things at their disposal?
2: Yeah, for sure. I and mean, if we're thinking in the context of these four funds that we're launching, so, you know, cer- certainly these funds can serve as a core equity holding. Um, there's there's no doubt there. Um, but at the same time, again, if you want to get certain exposure to different styles, for example, Mark is a is bit, bit more of a growth, growth manager. So, you know, if you're looking to get, you know, access to growth and get access to those tech names and innovative names, obviously, Mark makes a ton of sense. And I, again, that could complement perhaps, you know, Perhaps you have a passive S&P 500 and you want to get a little bit more um, you know, security selection alpha. You want to target a specific area of the market. You know, Obviously, again, Mark is more of a growth manager focusing on tech. At, at the same time, if you think about right now and you think about recessionary fears and maybe you're worried about um, you know, a market downturn, and you want to focus on downside. Then maybe you'd look at someone like Dan Dupont, who's more of a value manager. And if you take a look at his downside capture numbers over since he's been since he's been running Canadian large cap, they're actually phenomenal. So again, if you're if you're worried about downside, again, Dan might make more sense. Again, if you're looking for a cap focus, and you say, you know what, I want it. I want exposure to small caps, then Connor and Chris's fund would be for you. Um, so again, you, you could hold these each and any one of these as a, as a core holding. You could add it as a satellite holding if you want to get specific exposure to a, a specific style, a specific cap, a specific geography. Um, you know, Those are the typical ways uh, folks can be using these within their portfolios.
1: Great, and I wonder if we just go over quickly the names of the funds again and, uh, and maybe just talk about each one a bit and, and how they're different and, and what areas they cover.
2: Yeah, so we've got Canadian large cap managed by Dan Dupont. Uh, so this is uh, this falls in the kind of the Canadian equity category. Uh, I believe he's got to be at least 51% invested in Canada. I think. Uh, for the most part, it, it, he typically plays in North America, uh, typically. And again, this is exactly that. It's a large cap focus. Dan is more of a value manager, so you, so you can expect a value tilt in that fund as well. Uh, when you take a look at Mark Schmel, so his global innovators, as it suggests in the name, it is a global mandate, so he can kind of go anywhere with regards to, to strategy. I would say he's got a bit, uh, I don't know if if Mark likes to classify himself as a growth manager, but he certainly does have a bit of a growth tilt in there as well. Again, looking for those innovative uh, innovative companies across the globe. When you take a look at Hugo, he defines himself as a kind of a contrarian manager, so he's, he's going against the herd. He's the salmon swimming upstream, so to speak, there. Again, his Greater Canada Fund, uh, again, with a focus on Canada. Um, not 100% Canada, but he, he does have the focus on Canada there. And then finally, Connor and Chris, so Connor Gordon, Chris Maladzinski, so Global Small Cap. So again, they're, they're, they're doing a cap focus. So looking at those small cap names across the globe. And again, the world is their oyster from a geography perspective.
1: So when, when the managers decide to um, make a change in the mutual fund side, that will be reflected in the ETF side as well at the same time? Or how does that kind of work?
2: Yeah. So if you think about the ETF series, so just to give folks some color here. So Greater Canada, Canadian large cap and global small cap opportunities are a series on the existing mutual fund. So just think how you have series B and series F. Now you have an ETF series. So all the assets are commingled. So any trades that happen on one series happens across all the series, so those are going to be like to like perfect. Um, so again, Schmel is a clone; it is a separate fund technically. Uh, the reason is is because it, you know it is offered in class, and as I mentioned, it, it, it's tough to, to launch an ETF series on on top of a class, so that's why we had to put it in a clone fund. But again, any trades that Mark's saying, you know what, I want to trade this, you know, X for Y you know, that's gonna be mirrored across both the funds. So again, operationally, we have it set up so that trades are gonna be mirrored and, and both funds are gonna reflect one another pretty closely.
1: Um, what about minimum investments? Another advisor is asking, is, is is there a minimum investment?
2: Oh, whatever your broker shop will let you buy in terms of the minimum order you can place in the system is the minimum investment. We, at Fidelity, we don't have any minimum investments per se. Um, it's whatever you can buy in the market, that's your minimum investment.
1: Let's, let's talk a bit more about the Fidelity, why Fidelity? And um, you know, why are you launching these now? And then and what does, you mentioned a bit before about kind of the team, but let's talk a bit more about that. Why, what are you bringing to the table here with this Fidelity, with the Fidelity team?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think historically, obviously, Fidelity was known as kind of this active equity, um, stock picking mutual fund shop. And then certainly that's been one of our core capabilities for you know, you know since the company was, was, was launched many, 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 many years ago. Um, So I think, you know, the great part about this launch is we're able to kind of marry kind of our core capabilities and leverage our core capabilities in stock picking and bring it to the ETF vehicle. Obviously, we've grown well past just being a long-only mutual fund shop. Again, we offer ETFs, we offer uh, liquid alternatives and and many other other products that, you know, maybe historically going way back, Fidelity didn't offer. So again, we're able to marry that core long-term capability, our stock picking ability and bring it to the ETF vehicle and again, offer investors choice there. So again, I think Fidelity has a, a long track record of having great managers, great returns and adding value to our clients over many, many decades.
1: Uh, another question came in. This is a good one. I, 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 they're all good. But uh, are the all in one ETFs considered active ETFs? I think that's a when we have these conversations all in one, there is, you know, uh, we usually have a comment on or talk about how active they are or how they work. So, so how would you uh, answer that?
2: Yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify them as fully active. So we, we have the general mix that we try to maintain. So let's take a look at the balance. For example, 60-40, uh, 60 equity, 40 fixed income. Sorry, uh, 59, I believe, equity, 40 fixed income. We do have a, uh, or sorry, I think it's a 3% Bitcoin position in there. So subtract that from the from the equity side of things. Um, so th- those aren't actively managed insofar as we don't have someone on top of that saying, you know what, I want to go a little bit more overweight equity or want to go a little bit overweight fixed income. We do have those neutral weights that we rebalance um, from time to time. Um, So they're not active. The underlying funds are factor ETFs, which then themselves are kind of smart beta as well. Um, So I would classify it more of as a smart beta package and not a fully active package. That being said, we do have some active on the fixed income side. So if you think about uh, Jeff Moore's mandate in there, the global core plus portfolio, that is active. So there is a little bit of an active sleeve in there. Uh, But generally speaking, from a top fund perspective, there's no one making asset allocation calls across the different asset classes.
1: Describe the difference between smart beta and active, because smart beta sort of feels a bit active, but it's not. uh, How would you characterize the two and what's the difference?
2: Yeah so so in the smart beta you are you're targeting a specific area of the market and you are trying to get alpha that is to say you're trying to outperform the broader market over that investment period. So if you think about and we'll think about it in the context of some of our factor ETFs so quality. So so we have a quality factor. What does that mean? You know, what does a quality factor mean? So, you know, there there's 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 certain um, there's certain things that qualify or Uh, certain stocks as quality stocks. So you're typically looking at quality of earnings, cash flows, and things of that nature. And you can qualify a stock as a a quality stock per se. So what we look to do in that Smart Beta is we we have a quantitative strategy that takes a look at it and says, okay, these are the the quality stocks we think are going to outperform. So you're getting exposure to a specific type of stock in this particular example. Um, at the same time, you are trying to derive alpha over the investment period above the benchmark. So we like to say they're they're active in design and passive in implementation. So again, it's a quantitative strategy. You don't have a you don't have you know stock pickers in there every single day trading in and out. You're kind of running a quantitative strategy trying to outperform the market over an investment cycle.
1: Where do you see active going from here? And and there were some numbers, but I, I can't remember them. I don't know if you remember off the top of your head just the breakdown of kind of active and passive. It's it's become a bigger part of the market, um, do you think it will continue to, to more launches, uh, not just at Fidelity, but sort of generally, will it become a bigger part of the ETF market?
2: I, I certainly think so, too. And if you take a look at down down in the States, and we're typically a little bit behind on, on the kind of the trends we see down south, you're seeing. You know, you're, you're you're seeing a lot more go into the ETF space. You're seeing a lot more active go into the ETF space down there. I think that trend is also going to be, and, I, and we have been seeing that trend up here in Canada. So I think we're going to continue to, to see that. You know, w- will we ever hit a time where active uh, has more AUM than passive? Um, you know, maybe. Is it going to be my lifetime? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can, uh, you know, if I had a crystal ball, I'd tell you. But um, you know, I think I think as a as a percentage of market share, you're going to continue to see active um, gain a little bit more market share relative to the passive uh, and smart beta. That's kind of my prediction.
1: For for advisors who want to know what kind of what's in these funds, um, how does the sort of the, I guess the you know the top ten the transparency work between mutual funds and and these active ETFs? Are you seeing those same top ten? Anything more? Um, what are they seeing when they look at the fact funds sheet for these?
2: Yes, so that's a good question. We've been getting that a lot. So so from a disclosure perspective, it's going to follow exactly the same
1: disclosure as the mutual fund. Um, so all right, great. Uh, we will leave it there. Again, congrats on the launch and uh, thank you so much for being here and sharing uh, all that ETF knowledge. It kind of delays
2: and when we release our stuff, you know, so to speak, we don't want to give away the secret sauce, uh, so to speak there. So again, it's going to match the exact same disclosure policy as the, as the underlying mutual funds.
1: We have a few minutes left and, and I want to ask you about some tips and tricks for trading ETFs. Um, I know there are a few, so, so share, share some of your wisdom with us on, on how to trade these things.
2: Yeah, for sure. And this question comes up quite often as well. So, you know, just a couple high level tips is generally try to avoid trading the open and the close. That's when you see the most amount of volatility. Obviously, underlying equity markets are opening. So, you know, Often, there's a basket of, let's say, equities in an ETF, so we got to figure out where those underlying, underlying securities are trading to price out the ETF, so that we see a lot of choppiness around the open and the close. So if you can, try to avoid the open and close, you, you do see things widen out a little bit around the open and close. I mean, you see it in equity markets as well. Um, another thing is be cognizant of where the underlying markets are trading. So for example, you, know, you may have you know, a European equity ETF. So that's obviously going to have the best liquidity prior to 11 a.m. when the underlying European markets are still open. So that's a consideration as well, just the underlying geography of the securities in the ETF basket. Um, Another thing to consider as well, if you're doing a very large block trade, um, you're worried about fill prices, you're worried about depth of market, um, you do have the option to do NAV trades in in the ETF space as well. So similar to kind of mutual funds where you can get priced at NAV at end of day, you can place those orders with your trading desks as well. So if you do have any questions, obviously reach out to your trading desk. And again, if you do have large block orders, don't hesitate to contact your in-house block trading desk. Um,
1: and, and and
2: and ask uh, and ask about liquidity. They can often work large orders for you and source liquidity for you there.
1: Great. And uh, maybe just last question. You know, if advisors are listening to this and are interested, where can they find out more information about uh, about these new funds?
2: Yeah, so that's a good question. So obviously, fidelity.ca is, is a great resource if you're looking for some more information. If you do have a, a Fidelity touchpoint, uh, a salesperson who covers you, that is also a fantastic touchpoint. They have a ton of information at their fingertips that they can fire over to you uh, immediately. So feel free to reach out to your Fidelity rep or, or visit us at fidelity.ca. It would be the two best places to get some more information.
1: All right, great. Uh, we will leave it there. Again, congrats on the launch, and uh, thank you so much for being here and sharing uh, all that ETF knowledge.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Brian. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.